Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Dr. Louise Newson joins me on this episode, and it's a conversation that's going to centre around a topic that I know is close to a lot of listeners' hearts. It's something that's come up time and time again in the Facebook group, and there have also been requests for me to have Louise on the podcast. So hopefully, this will not only answer a lot of your questions, but you'll also be very pleased to see that Louise is joining me on the show. We're going to be talking about the menopause, but perhaps more specifically, the perimenopause. It's a bit of a myth that one day you wake up in menopause. The reality is that you can experience the hormonal changes, perimenopause, for years. And that's what Louise and I discuss in terms of how to understand it and how to manage it. Given that every woman will go through this, it has always really surprised and disappointed me how vague the information out there can be on this subject and also how a visit to your GP with symptoms can sometimes lead to an incorrect diagnosis of depression, for example. There's also a lot of conflicting information and misinformation out there that all results in women not knowing what to do, who to trust or where to go to get help. In this episode, Louise, who is a GP and menopause specialist, shares her expertise and also her own experiences to help guide women towards their best health. During this conversation, we discuss hormone therapies and the differences between synthetic, bioidentical and body identical hormones the telltale signs you're experiencing perimenopausal symptoms, how to speak to your doctor to get help, the help you need, and the reported risks of breast cancer and hormone therapies, the role weight plays, and so much more. All the links to Louise and the resources she references will be in the show notes, but without any further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Louise Newson onto The Emma Gunn Show. Dr. Louise Newson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to speak to you. And actually, I have covered hormones uh, on the podcast many times in the past. 
And it's a subject that I think, well, there's a lot of confusion. Mm -hmm. And I think there still feels as though, even though you can put resources out there, I don't know if you feel like this, you can put resources out there. There's still a lot of questioning. The resources can sometimes be hard to find for women. And I was really reminded of this recently. My good friend Caroline Hirons broke a hormone clinic in London because she mentioned them because she did a live talking about um, her hormone issues and the demand from followers saying, I really need this information too and I'm struggling to find it really made me think, okay, I need to make sure I'm putting more of these resources out Mm -hmm. there. This is your job. So do you find that that's something you come up against time and time again? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm a GP. I'm not a gynecologist. I'm a physician. So I'm very interested in the long term health risks of not having hormones as well as symptoms. Obviously, I want to help people feel better, too. Um, But it's amazing how little information is out there. And the information that is is often biased. It's funded. It's it's um, there's sponsorship behind it. There's a hidden agenda. So I I feel it really frustrating and really sad that it's, you know, the menopause and the perimenopause are natural processes, but we will all go through them as women if we live long enough. Um, And a lot of women go through them early for various reasons. So, um, you know, there are perimenopausal menopausal women out there in their teens, in their 20s, in their 30s. And obviously, Mm. as we get older, it's more common, yet it's still not spoken about. And if it is, it's often with wrong information. So there's a lot of scaremongering and a lot of uncertainty out there and you know it makes me feel really sad because women shouldn't be made to have to struggle to um, have a better quality of life and a better quantity of life as well Mm. Um, so yes there's a huge amount that needs to be done and I think that's what it seems to come down to time and time again is the quality of life issue Mm. and I also think one of the things I want to really focus on in this conversation with you is perimenopause because I think there is this misconception that menopause is jumping off a cliff yeah you get to the edge and then away you go and it's not actually like that that like there it's there can be a really long time yeah absolutely yeah I mean if you break it down if you before thinking about perimenopause if you think about menopause if you break down the word meno is menstrual cycle so women's periods pauses stop um so for a, an official diagnosis if you like a woman has to have not had her period for at least a year um but for most of us the menopause occurs as an, like I say natural process our ovaries stop producing eggs because they've run out the associated hormones decline but that doesn't happen overnight unless obviously you're ovaries are taken out with an operation so they they decline gradually and when they decline people start to get symptoms because of the low hormone effects but they're still having periods although their periods often change in nature or frequency and so this is called the perimenopause and it can last sometimes for many years and it's not often until people feel better when they're having their hormones replaced that they go gosh I I haven't felt this good for eight years, 10 years, you know, so the average age of the menopause in the UK is 51. So a lot of women in their 40s are perimenopausal, but because they're still getting periods, why would they think it's related to their menopause? And when you Google menopause, it's all about your period stopping. So Mm. there's not enough information about the perimenopause, because, you know, we know that 
when your hormones start to reduce, symptoms can occur. And we can talk about these because they can occur in so many different systems of our body. But also we have cells that respond to the hormones all over our bodies. So we have health risks by having low hormone levels. So the best time to consider treatment and lifestyle options is when you're perimenopausal. So would it be, would you just assume if you're in your 40s that you're probably already perimenopausal and should be thinking or at least be aware of... I think, yeah, I think the most important thing is it's not even waiting till you're in your 40s. Every woman and, and men, because men know women too, they've all got mothers and a lot of them have got friends and sisters who are female, um, to, to, to know about it. You know, we um, it's really important because these symptoms come on very gradually often and we're all busy, we're all pushed in other directions and we're um, juggling lots of things. So it's very easy to misinterpret, you know, the mood swings, the irritability, the poor sleep, the brain fog, the loss mm-hmm. of concentration, you know, poor memory, because you think it's because you're getting older, because you're pulled in more directions than you were when you were in your 30s or 10 years before. So it, it's key that we're primed because um, if any of you who are listening have experienced menopausal symptoms, it's very hard to for your brain to function when you haven't got enough hormones and I found it incredibly difficult when I had some symptoms so actually then to find out information is that much harder Mm. it's so much better to learn before so then you're primed and then when you get symptoms you can then find out what's right for you and what works for you if you see what I mean yeah and there's also an accessibility issue because a friend of mine said to me a few years ago um because also I had a very turbulent time in my teens because of PCOS. My hormones were all over the place. We'll come on to that later because I want to ask about PCOS and then how you experience the menopause. But um, she said, Emma, honestly, the thing I would recommend for you is you get yourself a hormone doctor and you have them hold your hand for the next 15 years and you stay in touch with them and you get regular tests because that's how you're going to sort of glide swan-like through this experience. <laughs> do, you think, do you think there's an element of truth in that? Obviously, accessibility to an expert and a doctor. Yes, yes no, but actually, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, for most people, it's very straightforward. And it's really important that we're not getting tests. A lot of people want to have their hormones tested. But if I tested your hormones on five different days, I would get five different results um, because they change all the time. And so then you can get falsely worried or falsely reassured. So a lot of women out there are having tests either privately or on the NHS and being told that their hormone levels are normal, yet they're experiencing symptoms, their periods are changing. It's usually a um, clinical diagnosis, not a biochemical diagnosis, so we don't need a blood test. So what people do need to know know is the information and, um, you know, doing a symptom questionnaire questionnaire. regularly is probably the best way of doing it so on my website um, if you just search questionnaire um, you can see the questionnaire that's a validated menopause questionnaire that we use in my clinic a lot um, or the app that I'm developing there's the questionnaires on there and it's actually worth doing it every three six months and I wish I'd done it a few years ago because I had no idea I was perimenopausal (laughs) Um, yeah my I it was when I was writing my website I was working incredibly (laughs) hard juggling the clinic juggling life juggling my three children and then writing this uh, website which I wanted to provide evidence-based and unbiased information to women so I was working really hard but I felt exhausted and I was very 
very irritable, very cross, everything. I just hated life. And um, <laughs> and I was also, I do a lot of yoga. So my yoga practice was really bad. My joints were stiff. My muscles were sore. My motivation had gone. I kept waking in the night. And this is really embarrassing. I had night sweats and I had to keep waking up and putting a towel down because I didn't want to wake my husband who would have gone mad if I'd woken him in the night. And I, as a doctor, thought I had lymphoma, which is a type of cancer, because you always think you have something bad when you're medical. I, I had no idea that it was a night sweat associated with my perimenopausal symptoms, um, even though I'm writing day in, day out, and I'm lecturing people, you know, women and also healthcare professionals to think about the other symptoms. I was getting back-to-back migraines and um, just feeling awful. And it was only after a few months, my daughter, um, who's now 15, but it, she was 11 at the time, said to me, Mummy, I think you need your period because you're so cross and you're like some of my friends before they have their period. <laughs> um, to which I just said, oh, my goodness, Sophie, I'm, I'm menopausal. I said, all these symptoms, they just fit into place. And I haven't had a period for about three months. Um, and it was just then the penny dropped. And I thought, do you know what? I've wasted the last three months. I've been really struggling to work. You know, I've been trying to remember doses of antibiotics and painkillers that I've prescribed for decades as a doctor. You know, everything was hard. And I just thought it was because I was pushing myself too hard. Whereas if I had sensibly filled out a questionnaire, repeated it, even trapped my periods on an app, then I would have known, and but I only had symptoms in a few months. I see women and speak to women who have symptoms for years, sometimes decades. And these are women who often have given up their jobs. They've given up their partners sometimes and their lives are awful. And I can see how it would have happened if I hadn't seek, you know, seek the right help. Um, so for me, actually going to a hormone specialist for years wouldn't have helped. What I needed was just some very freely available um, information landing on me, reminding me, fill out the questionnaire, you know, have you thought it might be related to your hormones? And, you know. We'll come back to the action points, like what do you do when you realise yeah. that, what the, the action you took. But what I, what I hope listeners will actually get from that story <laughs> is that you are a GP and you're a menopause specialist. Mm. And it, it, it not passed you by, but even you weren't mm. kind of acutely in tune to it. So anyone listening to this who maybe feels that again like you did oh I can't believe I've lost three months but it's okay it's okay yes absolutely and you know lots of symptoms you know um can be due to life you know there are people that are depressed there are people that have fibromyalgia chronic fatigue migraines you know, all sorts of things. But actually, you just sometimes need to take a step back or someone else, one of your friends, one of your relatives to say, look, you've really changed. Is there a reason for this? Um, and it's the effect of hormones on our brains, which are the most significant, um, because a lot of women can cope with flushes and sweat. Sometimes they can be really debilitating. But it, it's the loss of control of your brain is really hard you know we see so many women who think they've got dementia and I can understand it they can't remember names they can't remember words um, and if you can't remember um, someone was saying to me yesterday that she couldn't remember the name for um, the word banana so she was trying to describe something yellow that's curved that you eat and <laughs> 
this this name recall is really a real problem often because we don't have the estrogen in our brains during this time and um you, it's quite funny if you can't remember something like that but it's not so funny if you're in a board meeting or you're you know presenting at work or mm. you're you know you want to be promoted you know a lot of us have worked really hard in our careers and you don't want to just give it all up because your brain doesn't work yeah and usually it is in your 40s that you've reached that position mm. probably in work where you are overloaded you might have family life as well and therefore again like you did you think it's a combination of stress and just doing too much yeah absolutely I was just before lockdown actually I was presenting down in London for a big company um, and well, I was just talking about menopause and someone in the audience um, started crying and often people do cry because it's very emotional when you realize what's going on and this lady said um, for 10 years she had been experiencing symptoms such as fatigue, memory problems, anxiety, poor sleep, very stressed, uh, very worried, headaches and um, 10 years ago she had become promoted at work, very senior position and she was young, she was only in her 40s um, and so she had always thought it was due to her promotion um, but hearing me talk made her realise that her last menstrual period was 10 years ago. Um, and actually, I since spoke to her at another event that I did um, just via Zoom because it was in lockdown um, a few weeks ago. And she said, my life's transformed. I'm now on HRT and it's incredible. But then she's sad because she's missed a decade of, you know, of how she sees now how she could have been for 10 years. But it's very easy to blame other things. And I think as women, we're very used to just getting on with things. And, um, and because the menopause isn't a medical condition a lot of people feel it's wasting a doctor's time or a healthcare professional's time by going to talk it seems a bit trivial and a lot of people think hormonal women it's a bit we, we sort of laugh they're a butt of jokes aren't they and mm. if you are hormonal it's not a joke anybody who's listening who's experienced PMS or all menopausal symptoms it, it can be really isolating because you don't know where to go for help and the receipt the help you receive can be confused muddled you know and then you've lost your self-esteem you've lost self-worth it's it's a really weird time for a lot of people. So when you, uh, talking of intervention, you mentioned HRT as well. When you make, join the dots, yes. what, what were you able to do and how did you go about managing it? Well, again, it's an interesting thing, really, because obviously once I realised, uh, I thought, right, I've, I need HRT. I need to replace these hormones. One of the things I very much worry about is developing osteoporosis. And um, women who have low hormone levels have an increased risk of various conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, obesity, depression, um, osteoporosis, and also dementia. Um, so all these things, I don't really want them. I've worked hard. I have a healthy lifestyle. I want to keep healthy. Um, so I thought well, I need HRT. But sadly, my GP surgery where I'm registered, most of the doctors there are very anti-HRT. So I knew I wouldn't be able to get, get it from them. And then that put me in that whole thing, well, what, what do I do? I have to go privately. And um, there's a lot of private clinics, as I'm sure you know, who offer compounded bioidentical HRT, which is frightfully expensive, and it's not licensed or regulated. So I'm very fortunate that um, um, one of uh, my colleagues, Nick Panay in London, um, like me, runs a private clinic because there aren't, isn't enough resources in the NHS to do NHS menopause work. 
But I phoned up his secretary and uh, she said, no, he hasn't got an appointment for six months. And to which I was very rude and said, do you know who I am? I can't wait six months. And um, I realise now, and I always say to my staff, menopause women are very angry and they want, you know, it, it's really funny. So I was very rude to her. and said, don't worry, I'm going to email him. Forget it. You've been no help whatsoever. So I, I applaud you for admitting that, Louise. Yeah, so um, I have apologised to her since. <laughs> so then I emailed lovely Nick and said look I think I really need some help and um he said let's speak on the phone and it was funny actually I was in London with my daughter and my phone consultation was at nine and at ten to nine I said to my daughter Jessica ten minutes time I've got to make this really important phone call so just you know be quiet and (laughs) yeah fine anyway five past nine Nick phones me and says Louise were you going to phone me and I said, oh, my God, I completely forgotten. And that's how bad my memory was. You know, yeah. I can't imagine doing that now because my brain's obviously working fine. But anyway, so he's he gave me HRT and the dose has been altered. The, the type I've had has changed over the years. Um, and now I can get it from my GP, which is fine. Um, but it made me realise what a struggle it is to be diagnosed, what a struggle it is to get the right information. And even when you've got that, what the hell do you do if you can't get the right right support and um, treatment? So even, you know, the next journey. So, you know, it's a bit like when you have children, you learn more from having children than any book you could read. And it's the same with the perimenopause. You know, I've learned more on my own experience um, than I have from going to any lectures or whatever. So, um, but it makes me realise how hard it is I'm very fortunate on site that I could email an amazing consultant to help me but lots of people can't get that and it shouldn't be like that it you know yeah. it's not that difficult medicine it people should be able to um, receive the hormones they're missing if I had an underactive thyroid gland it wouldn't be such an issue I would just get the, the replacement hormone very easily and we yeah. should this is how it should be for women I feel the same way in my job as a health journalist. I have great access and that's why I love creating these sorts of episodes because mm. the more women you can inform and I mean, just to that point, actually, because I have had this mentioned in my uh, Facebook group quite a lot where people say they're confident that they're experiencing the menopause or perimenopause based solely on, you know, probably things that come up in the questionnaire on your website but they go to a doctor who isn't particularly sympathetic or, or doesn't like prescribing HRT and they feel incredibly frustrated. Mm. And I've had that before when I used to be on a particular medication for PCOS. I had a doctor flat out refuse to prescribe it because he didn't believe in it. Mm. And I said, well, I mean, in two weeks time, you're going to see a very frazzled, different kind of a woman is sitting in front of you because that helps me. So what do you advise women who find themselves in that predicament? I think the most important thing is women is to be empowered. Um, Certainly when I was um, a junior doctor in the early 90s and at medical school in the 80s, it was very much about more paternalistic medicine, whereas now, gladly, thankfully, it's changed. And we need to involve patients in every decision. So I think number one, before even going to a doctor, is make sure you've got information. So, um, you know, look at the nice guidelines, look at the evidence, make sure that your source is correct. So you feel strong to actually ask for what you want as an individual. Um, And it might be you just want a diagnosis. It might be that you want to discuss HRT. It might be you want to just discuss about heart disease or osteoporosis risk, but it's important to have the knowledge first. And then um, if your GP is 
refusing to um, engage with the thought of HRT or offering you antidepressants for which there's very little evidence that they help the low mood associated with the perimenopause or menopause, then you should really question why your doctor's being like that. And that can be very hard. I mean, I feel nervous going to see a GP because I feel I'm wasting their time. They're running late. It's, you know, it, it is quite scary. So I can understand women might not want to then just push back, especially when they've got all these symptoms and they're feeling very vulnerable. Um, there is a letter, if if you put letter on the search part of my website that we've just drafted, which basically says to the doctor, um, you've been so fantastic in so many ways. Why can't I have HRT? And we've referenced the nice guidance. And, and some women have used that and it, it's not aggressive. It's not a a threatening letter but actually the doctors then have reflected and thought about it and then either seen them again or referred them to someone else in the clinic so there's often a doctor or sometimes a nurse who has a special interest in the menopause but sadly menopause education for healthcare professionals is really lacking I had no formal menopause training I had to do it myself and you know every doctor every nurse every pharmacist should have information and um, education about the menopause and we've just developed a program which is going to be launched soon through a company called 14 fish um, which will access it's a remote online learning for um, any healthcare professional uh, to learn about the menopause so I'm hoping this will make a really big difference because you know doctors given wrong information I've already said women are often but sadly every so often you see these scares about HRT about breast cancer risk it goes to the media but it also goes to um, doctors as well and doctors are really busy you know I've read so many studies so many papers because that's my job to be a menopause specialist but I haven't read all the up-to-date papers about diabetes for example so a GP will read the headline from the MHRA or from the Lancet or from a journal and they will lift that out and think that's right Mm. and sadly especially over the last year there's been some real misinformation going out to GPs which understandably has been scaring them and then worrying their patients as well. Because there's a brilliant post on your Instagram, actually. There's a recent study about HRT and the mm. risk with breast cancer. And you've kind of, you did break it down and say, actually, the study is not entirely robust yeah. and there is no evidence for this. Yes. So, would you just mind explaining what that is a bit? Because... No, no, absolutely not. I think it's really important because m- most women, if they're worrying about HRT, it's because they're worrying about the breast cancer risk. So it's really important to get the facts right. So um most women if they've still got their womb have estrogen which is the important hormone and then they need a progesterone or a progestogen and a progestogen is just a synthetic form of progesterone Um, and we need it to protect the lining of our wombs because otherwise with estrogen it can just build up and become thicker Um, so we know that there are a small risk of or there's a small risk of breast cancer in some types of combination HRT i.e estrogen and progesterone or a progestogen Um, so when the study came out in 2002 which was the biggest randomized control study looking at this they were giving um, tablet estrogen high strength um, which we often don't give because there's a small risk of clot but they were giving the synthetic progestogens And they showed there was a small increased risk. Um, And this is where all of this has come from, a small increased risk of breast cancer. 
But actually, when they looked at the data more closely, they found that women who only had estrogen, so without any progestogen, actually had a slightly lower risk of breast cancer. So it's not the estrogen. Everyone thinks the estrogen is the bad bit because people talk about estrogen receptor positive breast cancers. Estrogen doesn't cause breast cancer. But the type of synthetic progestogen or some types are thought that they could stim they might stimulate a um, growth of breast cancer cells that are there already, or they might initiate some changes, but the risk is incredibly small. If you look at the magnitude of risk, the risk is um, more if a woman drinks a couple of glasses of wine a night or is overweight or doesn't exercise because these are risk factors for breast cancer. Um, but then, so the women who take estrogen only do not have an increased risk. And also women who have an early menopause who are under the age of 45, all they're doing is replacing the hormones. So there's no increased risk of breast cancer for those women. Um, we use in my clinic, um, and it's recommended throughout the NHS, um, the micronized progesterone, which is this body identical progesterone. And the studies have shown that there's no risk of breast cancer in the first five years of taking this preparation. And after that time, the risk is lower than with the synthetic progestogens. Um, sadly, some studies like the one that came out in September uh, last year, 2019, in The Lancet showed, um, it was reviewing all the data, some published, some unpublished, saying, oh, the risk is even higher than we thought with HRT. We need to reduce it and give it as low dose, as short a length of time. But when you look at those studies, they were all involved um, or the vast majority were involved with the older types of HRT, again, which we don't often prescribe. And it was all about risk of breast cancer. What we need to be aware also is there's never been a study that shows there's an increased risk of death in women from breast cancer in those women who take HRT. Um, so I'm not belittling breast cancer because obviously it's very common. One in seven, one in eight women get it. The vast majority of women who develop breast cancer, it's not related to their HRT. We also need to bear in mind that the majority of women who have had breast cancer die from cardiovascular disease, so heart disease. We know that taking HRT reduces the risk of heart disease by about 50%. So we need to, to sort of take a step back and think, why are we taking HRT? Are we only taking it because of this risk of breast cancer? Of course we're not. But are we taking it because it's got a reduced risk of heart disease, osteoporosis, diabetes, dementia, um, and improved quality of life? Yes, actually we are. And we know even from this study with the synthetic progestogens, um, when they followed women up for 18 years, they found that women who took, so the older type um, of HRT, um, when they took that, they had a lower risk of death from all causes, including from cancer. So actually that speaks volumes. So we, you just have to interpret the data really carefully. Mm. And when they talk about risk, you also have to be careful because when they say double risk or tri triple risk, if the risk is low, you're doubling a low risk. So when I put that post about drinking covered glasses, wine is a risk of breast cancer. Loads of women were messaging to say, oh my gosh, I've been drinking during lockdown. Should I be worried? Well, no, the risk is really small. You know, you're, you're more at risk by having a car crash than you are getting breast cancer from taking HRT. You know, when we go in and buy a car in the showroom, we do not get told by the uh, salesman that there's a risk that you're going to die in a car crash. 
it's all about how lovely the car is and we don't go and well I certainly have never for the cars I've bought you know look at studies and see has it been a randomized controlled trial no of course there hasn't you know you buy the car because you you like it you can afford it you want to get somewhere but there is a risk every time we get behind a wheel or cross a road or you know anything in our life but we look at why we're doing it and the benefits from doing it that's so that's a very tip. long answer to your question but no, I, I, I hope that. that's helped I enjoy that very much and I do enjoy the car show <laughs> I am enjoying that hugely so um actually I want to come on to something I feel like I'm really hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're like, I'm properly up to my waders in this now. But you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned synthetic. And then you also talked about body identical. Mm. When you say body identical, is that the same as bioidentical? No. So this this is really good to bring up because it's very um, it's very important that people know the difference. So um, synthetic progestogens are modified, so they're not. If you look at their molecular structure, they're different to the hormones we produce. But the body identical hormones, the estrogen, progesterone, and also testosterone that some women take, if they're body identical, they're basically the same molecular structure. So they work the same in the body as our natural hormones. Now, if they are regulated, then we call, some people call them regulated bioidentical, which is a bit confusing. So we tend to just say they're body identical. So they're usually available on the NHS they're very cheap, they're very effective, that's where all the studies have been to show how good they are. Now these clinics I mentioned before that do compounded bioidentical HRT, um, they are essentially body identical, they have the same structure, but they're not regulated, they come under as a food supplement, so they don't have to have the same quality control measures. So I could set up a clinic, for example, I could get someone to compound and make these products for me, but firstly, I don't know um, how safe they are I don't even know what their quantities of the hormones are each each packet could be different whereas when it's regulated every product that's prescribed every packet will contain exactly the same have exactly the same checks because it has to it's a medicine um so the the way that they're marketed is very clever so they say it's bespoke it's uh, we match your hormones we do blood tests we do saliva tests and and all this so say for example I had gone a few years ago to one of these clinics 
Well, they would have done a saliva and blood test. I don't want my hormones to be how they were then because they would have been dreadful. I want them how they were 10 years ago. But as I've already said, I couldn't have measured them 10 years ago because each day would have been different. Um, But we know what a physiological level is. So we can monitor blood tests for women who take HRT. But to make a diagnosis, we don't. We don't need a blood test. Um, And um, so they're expensive. They're not regulated. They could contain contaminants. We've done some analysis of some samples, and they've not even contained what we think they contain or what they're telling that they're contained. Um, The reason that they came on board, really, is because women were so scared about HRT for reasons I've already said. Mm -hmm. And they are no doubt better than the synthetic, older type tablet estrogen and um, the um, synthetic progestogens but compared to body identical they haven't got the literature they haven't done the trials Um, what they will do is tell you how bad HRT is because of course HRT has moved on and changed Um, and so compared to the synthetic progestogens and oral estrogen they are probably better but and you know but a lot of women they just don't need it and it's we see people that come to my clinic and they've been fleeced really is probably the best word of think it for lots of money you know their credit card goes out on arrival they have to spend a fortune on blood tests a fortune on these hormones and yes they will feel better because a lot of these products contain estrogen and a lot of them contain progesterone and um, testosterone so of course these women will feel better but it's not done in a regulated way. It's not done. It, it's no. There's no body. Um, so there's the International Menopause Society, British Menopause Society, the um, North American Menopause Society. None of them recommend compounded bioidentical HRT because there's no um, evidence behind it. But it's a massive industry in America. It's a multi-billion-pound in, dollar industry, and it's big in London. It's very big places everywhere. Um, but also, doctors don't have the training. I, it's often linked with cosmetic um, doctors. So you can have your Botox, have your <laughs> compounded HRT, and it's shocking. It's it's really sad because a lot of people are making, or not a lot, but some doctors are making a huge amount of money from very vulnerable women, and they're not practicing evidence-based medicine. Well, the back of my neck has got very hot and sweaty, because (laughs) I have previously said to listeners, in good faith and thinking I'm giving Mm. fair information, if you feel that you're you're hitting a brick wall, and, and because I did this, Mm. make an investment in yourself and go and see someone who can guide you. And the financial investment is an investment in you, so mm. it's, not, it's never going to be a bad investment. But from what you've just said, I'm now thinking, should my advice be go to your GP and ask for body identical hormone mm. and have a reasonable conversation with them mm. before you escalate to a clinic? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, th- I think... Um, there's, there, I've written an easy HRT prescribing guide for healthcare professionals, which a lot of women have downloaded. Actually, if you just search "easy" on the questionnaire, on the sorry, on the search tool of my uh, website, if you put "easy," it will come up. This easy HRT prescribing guide. A lot of women have downloaded that and actually given it to their doctors, which have been helpful. Um, 
there are some private clinics that offer regulated hormones. Um, yeah. So it's just important finding out the training of the doctor or the nurse that that you're going to. Um, but if they if it's compounded by your identical HRT, you should really be asking yourself why you're taking it. How they you, also how would you know if it was compounded by your identical HRT. Well, they'll be able to tell you. Firstly, it's it's very expensive. If it's right. if it's expensive and they're offering lots of blood tests, <laughs> then you you, sh- you shouldn't shouldn't be doing it and certainly if they're offering saliva tests you shouldn't be doing that either they also give a lot of times they give progesterone creams that you rub on and I've already said you need progesterone to protect the lining of your womb there is no evidence at all that progesterone cream will protect the lining of the womb so we see a lot of women who have bleeding see a lady recently in my clinic who had cancer of the lining of the womb and she'd been given a progesterone cream with her oestrogen from one of these clinics Um, and oestrogen on its own will stimulate the lining of the womb so you just have to be really careful Oh, gosh. (laughs) Sorry, I don't think I understood that last example. So do you think that the prescribed oestrogen and progesterone she was taking contributed to the cancer of the life? It could have been. It's impossible to prove. Obviously, she could have had cancer already. But there's a lot of women who have bleeding because the lining of the womb is building up because the progesterone through the skin doesn't get absorbed properly to protect the lining of the womb. Whereas if you have it as a, a progesterone capsule orally, or it can be used internally, um, it we know from evidence that it's safe and you know as doctors we should be prescribing the evidence-based medicine we should be looking at the available evidence and working out of that regardless not just with with menopause with diabetes blood pressure heart disease anything we do Mm. we'd have no evidence there's nothing that will tell you or tell me as a doctor that compounded bioidentical hrt is is effective and safe Right. So, so, and with the, with the synthetic hormones, and I will just linger on this point only one more time. I um, I always thought it was bioidentical hormones good, synthetic hormones bad, and that synthetic was, uh, for example, like taking the combined oral contraception. Mm, absolutely, yeah, that's right. So, just and listeners will know this, but um, I stopped taking the contraceptive pill. Uh, as a treatment for PCOS mm. because I freaked out because my mother developed breast cancer uh, seven years ago and had, there was no family history. And after an analysis, they said the only thing that might, it's bad luck, but the only thing that might have tipped you over the edge is the fact that you've been taking HRT for such a long time. And so I immediately thought synthetic hormones and mine went in the bin and I haven't taken them since. Um, was that a bit knee jerk, Louise? <laughs> It's, you know, it's getting it all into perspective. There's certainly the contraceptive pills um, have a higher risk of breast cancer than body identical HRT, yet people take them all the time. But then a woman's risk of getting breast cancer, developing breast cancer when she's young is really low. So this is what I said before, if you increase a low risk, it's still a really low risk. Mm. Um, a lot of women with PCOS take something called Dianet, uh, which has no risk of breast cancer because it has something that blocks testosterone. It doesn't have a synthetic progesterone in it. So um, so the oestrogen, like I've said, is the, is the safe bit. So if if all women taking the contraceptive pill had a high increased risk of breast cancer, you'd see a massive spike right. of women in their 20s, 30s. We have to remember that the commonest reason for 
developing cancers, including breast cancer, is or the, the commonest risk factor is obesity. Obesity has overtaken smoking as the commonest risk for all cancers. Um, so if you look at these modifiable, if you like, lifestyle factors, they include obesity, drinking alcohol, and not exercising. Now, a lot of women who are perimenopausal and menopausal change their diet because they get sugar cravings, they feel no motivation to cook, to eat properly. They put on weight anyway because of the metabolic changes that occur due to the low estrogen levels. And they often women tell me they're drinking more just to numb their symptoms, to try and help them sleep. Mm. So they're saying, I don't want HRT because of the breast cancer risk, but their lifestyle means that their risk of breast cancer is greater than taking most types of HRT. So, you know, we have to work out what we're doing with our lives before we just say no to a hormone. Now, I'm going to go off on a wee tangent there because you mentioned obesity as the as now being the highest risk. Mm. And the tangent I'm going to go on is that that's become quite controversial with the body positivity movement. Mm. And I have seen, and obviously it's always on social media where things are not fact-checked. Um, mm. Sorry, that's such a sweeping statement, which I shouldn't have said. But obviously, not everything you read on social media is true. But um, with lots of people saying that the health risks associated associated with obesity just aren't true, and it's a form of fat shaming. And I'm interested if you have a stance on that. I don't think anyone's going to fat shame, are they? I think it's all about how comfortable you are in your in your skin, in your body, in your lifestyle. You know, I have a very extreme lifestyle because I don't uh, drink caffeine or alcohol, so I don't eat chocolate. Now, most women would never be able to do that, and I would never advise people to do that. It's the same, you know, with with weight as well. You've got to do what's right for you and ignore everyone else because mm-hmm. if you listen to everyone, you wouldn't you wouldn't live, you know, whatever we do, certainly as women, we're very vulnerable. And anyway, that's another subject, isn't it? But we know from data that people who, men and women who are overweight or obese have a higher risk of heart disease, type two diabetes, um, osteoporosis, and um, they also have um, an increased risk of all types of cancer. That's just fact. Um, And so we also know that women, when they have low estrogen levels, they tend to put on weight, especially around the middle, because the fat cells in our bodies contain a very weak type of estrogen called estrone. And our bodies want estrogen. We are designed to have estrogen. If you think in the Victorian times, we used to die quite soon after our menopause. So evolutionary, we're designed to reproduce and then fade away and die. We're not designed to have decades of life in our menopausal years. So um, women tend to put on weight and have an increased risk of, of being overweight and obese because of the low estrogen levels that occur. And then we know that there are associated. Now, there's obviously if people are overweight or obese and they eat well and they exercise, of course they're going to be healthier than people that sit on the sofa eating chips, smoking 20 a day. It's not just a single risk mm. factor, but it's it, it's a contributing factor. If you yeah. see what I mean. Uh, on this podcast, I do enjoy evidence-based medicine. I don't, you know, that's very much, I always like to back it up with fact and science and maybe the odd uh, clinical review or peer-reviewed paper. And so really, I just wanted a, a doctor, that's you, to say, um, yes, it isn't a conspiracy. It isn't a myth. There is proven evidence. There is evidence that there can be uh, an implication and the uh, this sort of 
obesity. You, I'm getting lost in my words, but what I mean is there's this whole thing about healthy at any size, and I think mm. you've touched on that, but there is a risk, and that isn't to be ignored or dismissed as a conspiracy. Absolutely. And I think it's even more apparent now with uh, COVID-19 because we know that one of the risk factors for developing um, uh, severe symptoms of COVID-19 and also going to intensive care and sadly dying, uh, one of the big risk factors is obesity. So we, we can't get away from that either. Yes. Now, so if, if someone is in their experiencing perimenopausal symptoms what is because I've had this said to me before and I know listeners have where you go to the doctor and they say if you can just lose five percent of your body weight your symptoms will improve yeah well they need to try and um, be menopausal themselves or perimenopausal (laughs) themselves because um I I I, when I had since I I'm always been very slim but I try and look after myself and I could just see that my I had this this sort of extra weight around my middle and I kept driving looking down thinking where that's come from I haven't changed my lifestyle this is awful and looking back obviously it's because of my hormones but also you know you've got these metabolic changes that are occurring and then you've got these changes I've already said to your to your brain to your body you know if you're exhausted because you've been awake in the night and you've got low self-esteem reduced sort of self-values you've got joint pains muscle pains you've got headaches you're irritable you're not eating properly it's really hard to then just lose weight you mm-hmm. know I I remember a while ago I was um doing some judging of um, a perimenopause app that, um, that somebody had developed for a competition and these really young guys were talking about diet and exercise and being personal trainers for perimenopausal women and say it's so easy they just need to exercise five times a week we can give them a diet sheet la 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 I said have you ever spoken to anyone who's experienced symptoms oh no no but we know it works really well for 20 30 years so you've got no idea you've got no idea and actually the last thing a menopausal woman wants to hear is that she has to lose weight a lot of women will lose weight if they're on the right dose and type of HRT because it's just so much easier to exercise when you feel well we know Mm -hmm. that um you know it's 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 hard for a lot of people to get the motivation to exercise um and you know it's really hard for menopausal women so I feel if a doctor or healthcare professional is saying that they need to really consider why they're saying that because there it's even during a regular cycle before perimenopause Mm. or menopause there will be a time a few days maybe in your normal cycle where it will be hard to dig deep and find that motivation just by the very nature of hormone fluctuations right absolutely and it's it's classically just before a period um that this occurs and this is when estrogen levels are very low so a lot of women who get that dip especially when the dip gets worse and for longer they've got pms and during the perimenopause people with pms it often gets a lot worse and the only really good thing about that is that these women often really respond to just topping up with some estrogen sometimes only on those few days they don't need full-on hrt they can just take the estrogen for two three four days or a week you know when their symptoms are bad because you're just topping it up that's mm. all you're doing now i wanted to talk a little bit about mental health because obviously menopause mm. perimenopause menopause uh, very much a physical health issue but if but um we know that and we never shied away from talking about anxiety on this podcast with my most excellent listeners so but there is a link isn't there it can really uh, if you're already experiencing anxiety it can perhaps amplify it and if you haven't necessarily experienced anxiety before it can trigger it for the first time 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, we know that anxiety and depression are really, really common anyway. They're more common in women and uh, women during the perimenopause have a lot higher risk of both anxiety and clinical depression as well. Um, we also know really sadly that the peak suicide rate in the UK for women is in their early 50s. And I've already said the average age of the menopause is 51. And I have spoken to and seen a huge number of women who have had suicidal thoughts their lives have just felt not worth living not worth continuing they've really been at the top of that cliff wanting to jump and they have improved with the right dose and type of HRT so I know it's related to their hormone and a lot of women are inappropriately given antidepressants which I've alluded to already mm. we know there's no evidence that antidepressants help with the low mood associated with the perimenopause and menopause clearly they will help for people with clinical depression uh, but they won't help if it's a hormone related anxiety or depression um, so we see so many women and hear really sad stories and you know someone recently um got in touch with me because her she and her friend had been going through the menopause at the same time and this woman had thankfully received help but the other woman was only given antidepressants and sadly she sadly she jumped off a bridge and killed herself and her friend just contacted me to tell me about it but said I really feel bad because I'm the one that managed to get treatment. And it sounds very dramatic, but actually it's not because I hear stories all the time and it's it's really sad. It's, it's inexcusable. These are avoidable deaths that we need to address. And one of my patients works for Samaritans and she said since she'd gone through her own perimenopausal journey, she now realizes so much that so many of the people that are calling the women are perimenopausal and menopausal um so it you know it, this is what i was saying it's the mental health mm. um effects of low hormones are huge and we need to talk about it so we know and and can recognize it in our friends in our colleagues in our you know in our relatives so because when you're in it yourself you don't notice a change so much yeah and it, it, it's i think it must be i hope for anyone listening who is is ticking a lot of boxes or is hearing a lot of ding ding ding? I hope this offers comfort because you're, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not doing no. anything wrong. It's this is a process that you are going through, and this is something that is going to happen. But it can be treated. Slash, there can Absolutely. be appropriate intervention available. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's talk a little bit about the symptoms, just maybe to do a little bit of a checklist of the mm. things that you might feel during uh, perimenopause. So, there is the poor recall that you've spoken about, um, anxiety, brain fog. And then I also read on your Instagram, one of the other things you might notice is an increase in urination. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so we've got estrogen receptors in cells everywhere. So they get all around our body. So obviously we've talked a lot about in our brain, but also in our heart, in our in our lungs even, mm -hmm. in our bones, in our eyes. Some people get dry eyes, dry mouth. Um, but we have estrogen receptors in our vagina, uh, the walls lining the vagina and also our vulval area, but also in parts of our bladder and the urethra, the tube that we wee out, and also our pelvic floor. So you don't have to be a 
brain surgeon to work out that low levels is going to affect all of these regions Mm -hmm. so a lot of women find that they have increased frequency of passing urine urgency um, sometimes they have some incontinence might not just might not be a full-on but they might have some leakage Mm -hmm. Um, and it's you know when you look at statistics probably about one in three women will have some sort of incontinence yet hardly anyone gets treatment because it's so embarrassing to Mm -hmm. talk about and of course it's not embarrassing to talk about to a doctor but it's um, pelvic floor weakness occurs um, and then a lot of people get recurrent urinary tract infections as well so all these treatments um, that can uh, can help obviously HRT can help but also women who choose not to take HRT or don't want to take it first line or can't take it because of a medical reason can have local estrogen so this is estrogen that's used internally as a pessary um, in the vagina or there's a ring or a cream and then it, as you can imagine it seeps out it helps the vagina but it also helps the urinary sim- symptoms as well so it's very safe there's no risks associated with it because it just works locally um, and we know around 70 percent of women have symptoms related to vaginal dryness and so they will have urinary symptoms as well but we also know sadly only about seven percent of women receive treatment so there's a heck of a lot of women out there who are okay. just putting up with it seven percent mm. it's awful that really so, makes me feel so sad. I know. It's a very depressing podcast, this, isn't No, it? it's not. It's helpful. Because we, no, because we're providing listeners with an excellent resource of information, so it's incredibly hopeful and comforting. Um, I also wanted to, because a listener actually got in touch with me a little while ago, and I thought, oh, gosh, I have no idea how to broach this, but you are the perfect person. They have, uh, they have been put into, I don't know if that's the right terminology, surgical menopause. Mm. Um, so very early because of an operation and we're just kind of like I don't I don't have any resources to access to know how to navigate this but yeah I I, I believe memory serves she had a hysterectomy and so okay. surgical menopause so surgical menopause occurs usually because the ovaries are removed because then obviously you um you, you know you've got your hormones and suddenly your ovaries are removed and you your um hormone levels really deplete very quickly some people do develop it from a simple hysterectomy where their ovaries are left um, but a lot of women if their ovaries are still there they still got some function but the surgical menopause is a very harsh very unnatural menopause um, because it happens so quickly the body can't adjust at all often it occurs in younger women um, the majority of of people are under the age of 45 so therefore they really need hormones so the guidelines are very clear that if a woman is going to have ovaries removed and also having a hysterectomy they should speak with their specialist before the operation to explore options of HRT a lot of women I speak to sadly get told by their surgeon well let's just see how you go and then we can think about hormones well you don't see how anyone goes you wouldn't take out their thyroid gland and see how they go Um, so it's very important they get help Um, there is a podcast that I've done on my podcast series about surgical menopause that we've just talked about Um, and also on my Instagram uh, TV I've I've done a a, I think it's an hour me talking nonstop about surgical menopause because it's very important Mm -hmm. and I I also talked about endometriosis in that because that's one reason why women have have surgery there's lots of reasons and it's it's really important I see a lot of women who have had a surgical menopause from cancer for example if they've had cervical cancer cancer of the cervix 
and they've had their womb, their ovaries, everything removed. Often they've had chemotherapy or radiotherapy. And so they have gone into the menopause very early and these women can still take HRT. Um, so again, there's lots of information under the resources section about women who've had cancer because a lot of these women are really neglected. A lot of mm. treatments for cancer induce an early menopause. Um, yet it's not spoken about to these poor women. And you also mentioned endometriosis there, and that's something I, I, I have quite a few friends who really, really suffer mm. with it. Um, and I just am curious in terms of the implications of having something like endometriosis and then what that means, whether, whether it has any impact on the kind of menopause you will have or the kind of perimenopause you might have. Not necessarily, um, but it, it's important to... Um, to realize that you can still take HRT. A lot of women um, think that they can't if they've had endometriosis because they know that their estrogen can sometimes flare up any endometrial tissue that's that's still in their bodies. Um, these women should have progesterone as well to protect the lining of the womb. A lot of women, even if they've had a hysterectomy, if they've got deposits of endometrium, endometriosis, if you like, elsewhere, then we still give them progesterone. So again, there is a leaflet about endometriosis on my website that people can download and and read um but no i mean all women go through the menopause and some women have really severe symptoms some women don't have any symptoms but what we have to remember is that it's a long-term female hormone deficiency so for example i could stop my hrt tomorrow and all my symptoms that i did have might have gone but then i'm exposing my body to this risk of osteoporosis heart disease and so forth so we that's the reason that we need to think about it as a hormone deficiency rather than menopause or perimenopause because they're such horrible words. <laughs> you know, when you think about menopause, you think about a grey-haired lady running down the beach with her grandchildren. You know, I'm not that. I don't want to be thought of like that. And certainly young women don't want to either. So we have to sort of change the perception of it, really. Yeah, that's totally correct. A hormone deficiency. It's like I need to talk, like, I'm vitamin mm. deficient. We don't get embarrassed Absolutely. about that. We just go and get some no. vitamin D. Um, if you had in your teen years a wobbly puberty, like the transition from child to, to from girl to woman, might that inform how you uh, experience menopause? And is it also true? Because I've heard this many times that you experience menopause probably in a similar way to your mother. Yes and no. So sometimes people are very sensitive to hormones. Um, so if they've had a turbulent time in their teenagers, it could be. But also certainly women who have PMS, uh, uh, premenstrual syndrome, have often a lot worse time during the perimenopause and menopause. And if women have been pregnant and they often say, I felt amazing when I was pregnant, then that's an indication that they will respond even better to, to HRT. Um, what your mother experienced is not going to be. And actually, a lot of mothers won't remember what they're experiencing was a lot of women tell me that their mother says now I breathe through the menopause and they say but I remember you going down the garden screaming your head off you know shouting all the time so um but the age of the menopause can do so there are um I've already said women go through the menopause early so around one in a hundred women in the UK under the age of 40 have an early menopause and often that can run in families so if you're perimenopausal or menopausal in your 20s 30s just ask around your female relatives um whether what age they were and that might give you an indication it's not guaranteed but it might just give you an indication well thank you so much i know we've come to the end of our time together because you are very busy but thank you so much for that because that was an incredible that was an info-packed conversation Liz. thank you so much for your time and also obviously you mentioned the resources um on your website and uh, just 
just we will flag up you do have an app launching it will be launched by the time this podcast goes out so i'll yes, link to that too which is very exciting so it's a free app available for anyone to download yeah and what's it called it's called balance okay i'll put the it's about balancing your hormones and your health <laughs> and i think as well like you said monitoring your cycle like i use an app um i guess it's just a case of just trying transposing that to monitoring your perimenopause or your hormone deficiency as we are now going to be calling it <laughs> absolutely um, oh, thank you for inviting me it's been great thank you so much for your time it was a pleasure to chat thank you so much for listening if you would like to get in touch with the show please do email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com you know how much i love to hear from you you can always slide into my dms and i do enjoy that also where i'm at emma guns that's on twitter and instagram and if you want to chat to me but also thousands of other listeners to this podcast i encourage you to click the link in the show notes which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode and join the facebook group the link to join is right there you just have to answer a couple of questions agree to the forum rules and you will be welcomed in with open arms Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com